Once in the wooden stem, and once in the amber. Each of these men's done as you observe with silver bands, must have cost more than the pipe did originally. The man must value the pipe highly when he prefers to patch it up, rather than buy a new one with the same money. Anything else, Holmes? He turned the pipe about in his hand, and staring at it in his peculiar pensive way. He held it up and tapped on it with his long, thin forefinger, as a professor might do lecturing on a bone. Mm, pipes are occasionally of extraordinary interest. Nothing has more individuality, Watson, save perhaps watches and bootlaces. The indications here, however, are neither very marked nor very important. The owner is obviously a muscular man, left-handed, with an excellent set of teeth, careless in his habits, and with no need to practice economy. My friend threw out the information in an offhand way, but I saw that he cocked his eye at me to see if I'd followed his reasoning. You think a man must be well-to-do if he smokes a seven-shilling pipe? Ah, but this is Grosvenor mixture at eightpence an ounce. He knocked a little out onto his palm. As he might get an excellent smoke for half the price, he has no need to practice economy. And the other points? He's been in the habit of lighting his pipe at lamps and gas jets. You can see that it's quite charred all down one side. Of course, a match could not have done that. Why should a man hold a match to the side of his pipe? But you cannot light it at a lamp without getting the bowl charred, and it's all on the right side of the pipe. From that I gather that he is a left-handed man. You hold your own pipe to the lamp, and see how naturally, you being right-handed, hold the left side to the flame. You might do it once the other way, but not as a constancy. This pipe has always been held so. Then he has bitten through his amber. It takes a muscular, energetic fellow, and one with a good set of teeth, to do that. But if I'm not very much mistaken, I hear him upon the stair. So we shall have something more interesting than his pipe to study. An instant later, our door opened, and a tall young man entered the room. He was well but quietly dressed, in a dark grey suit, and he carried a brown wide-awake in his hand. I should have put him about thirty-five, though he was really some years older. I beg your pardon. I suppose I should have knocked. Yes, yes, of course I should have knocked. The fact is that I'm a little upset, and you must put it all down to that. He passed his hand over his forehead like a man who is half dazed, and then fell rather than sat down upon a chair. I can see that you have not slept for a night or two. That tries a man's nerves more than work, and more even than pleasure. May I ask how I can help you? I wanted your advice, sir. I don't know what to do, and my whole life seems to have gone to pieces. You wish to employ me as a consulting detective? Not that only. I want your opinion as a judicious man, as a man of the world. I want to know what I ought to do next. I hope to God you'll be able to help me, Mr. Holmes. It's a very delicate thing. One does not like to speak of one's domestic affairs to strangers. It seems dreadful to discuss the conduct of one's wife with two men whom I have never seen before. It's horrible to have to do it. But I got to the end of my tether, and I must have advice. My dear Mr. Grant Munro, our visitor sprang from his chair. What do you know my name? If you wish to preserve your incognito, I would suggest that you cease to write your name upon the lining of your hat, or else you turn the crown towards the person whom you are addressing. I was about to say that my friend and I have listened to a good many strange secrets in this room, and that we have had the good fortune to bring peace to many troubled souls. I trust that we may do as much for you. Might I beg you, as time may prove to be of importance, to furnish me with the facts of your case without further delay? 
Our visitor again passed his hand over his forehead, as if he found it bitterly hard. From every gesture and expression, I could see that he was a reserved, self-contained man, with a dash of pride in his nature, more likely to hide his wounds than to expose them. Then suddenly, with a fierce gesture of his closed hand, like one who throws reserve to the winds, he began. The facts are these, Mr. Holmes. I'm a married man and have been for three years. During that time, my wife and I have loved each other as fondly and lived as happily as any two that ever would join. We've not had a difference, not one in thought or word or deed. And now since last Monday, there has suddenly sprung up a barrier between us. And I find that there is something in her life and in her thoughts which I know as little as if she were the woman who brushed by me in the street. We are estranged, and I need to know why. Now, there's one thing that I want to impress upon you before I go any further, Mr. Holmes. Effie loves me. Don't let there be any mistake about that. She loves me with a whole heart.